Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, one and all. Thank you for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. I'm Topher. I'm Billy. And back with a vengeance is Beth. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, look, I'm fine. Back to, you know, breathe some fresh air into this white male <laughs> echo chamber of you guys. <laughs> As if the world has enough of white men talking. <laughs> uh, so if anyone hasn't figured out what we're talking about from the title of this episode, 2012's, Billy? 2012, 2012's great. John Carter. Yes. Um, based on the novel um, John Carter, White Saviour of Mars. <laughs> I think that's right, isn't it? It's actually, well, this one's based on the first novel in the Barsoom series, which is called A Princess of Mars. Okay. There's 18 in total. Don't get confused, though. It's not really about her. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so written by Edgar Rice Burroughs, who, of course, also created Tarzan. Ah, so he's got form. I do feel like I need to clarify something for all your listeners out there who probably think, look, I don't know you guys, but I suspect you might listen to these two week after week and think, these are two all right blokes. I feel like I could sit down, have a beer with them or like, you know, hot chocolate in case of Billy. (laughs) I need to tell you, uh, it's quite possible that actually they're entirely shit blokes (laughs) who are capable of betrayal on mass level for forcing me to watch this movie. Oh, okay. So I take it you didn't love it. You got to watch Tim Riggins. We're shirtless for most of the movie. Yeah, by the end of it, I was sick even of seeing his abs and I will never forgive this film for that. Well. So that's actually the most positive thing I have to say about it. So let's get underway. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be Sphere all over again. (laughs) Yeah, so speaking of Sphere, usually with our throwbacks, one of us will choose a movie the other hasn't seen and and introduce them to something we love. But in this case, we both love this movie. Do do we both love it? We both like this movie. Wait, don't tell me you don't like this movie. Look, I don't dislike this movie. We've spoken about this movie many a time. We have. you changed your opinion? And most of what I said was that was a lot better than what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Which it was. Well, I feel like I have been stabbed in the back. And then I watched it again for this, and it was like, last time, it was like the opposite of Star Wars last time. There's- there was no expectation. The expectation went the complete opposite way with John Carter. And I was like, hey, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't absolutely terrible. And then I watched it again and I'm like, um, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> so who wants to lead off with anything at all? All right, I'll take it off. So the film is directed by Andrew Stanton, who previously helmed Finding Nemo and Wally. This was his first foray into live action. Wally. <laughs> it's written by Stanton, Mark Andrews, and Michael Chabon, as we said, based on the book by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and it stars Taylor Kitsch, Lynn Collins, Samantha Morton, Mark Strong, Dominic West, James Purefoy, and Willem Dafoe. Had a production budget of $263 million, but a total budget, including marketing, of $350 million, making it the wow. sixth most expensive film ever made, behind Age of Ultron and Infinity War, three parts of the Caribbean movie, so they're total turds, and Justice League. <laughs> so money doesn't buy brilliance. It brought in $283 million at the box office, so it wasn't a complete failure. But due to its large budget, you know, I guess if you it add was- it all up, it's a $200 million loss. It's the biggest box office flop of all time. Whatever. We'll forget all that for now. <laughs> but if you ignore that it's the biggest box office loss of all time, not a, not a failure. No, not a failure when you think about how much money it did bring in. It's just due to its massive budget that it's that it's a flop. Yeah, it's only if you look at the whole story that it yeah, becomes- Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you look at one small segment- <laughs> Like when you're peeling an orange, you don't look at the whole orange anymore. You look at the little pieces. That's what you got to do with this movie. Okay, okay. Uh, and it's 51% on Rotten Tomatoes and 51 on Metacritic, so middling across the board. <laughs> um, speaking of the cast, Dominic West, the in some ways the main villain, yeah. who 
fans of The Wire tend to love Dominic West, and I'm a fan, normally. <laughs> Not good in this, is he? <laughs> well, I mean, isn't he? I think he, he's got the look of someone that can't quite believe he's in the movie that he's in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I disagree. I think that everyone in this movie was thrilled to take part in it. You do not. I do. In fact, the entire cast has come out saying they would do a sequel in a heartbeat. They loved working That's because on none of them have been offered any other roles <laughs> since being in this movie. Now I'm trying to think of roles since then, and I am struggling. Oh, Mark, Mark Strong is still working. Yeah, yeah. His, his nose is getting rolls all over the place. Yeah, I re- actually really like Mark Strong, and he's maybe he could he could well be the standout from John Carter. I think. Yeah, I actually I, I enjoy most of the cast. I'm not a I, to be honest, I'm not a huge Taylor Kitsch fan, and I think that he might be a bit wrong for the role. I just feel like he's he's a little bit young. He's a little bit aggressive. He's not that kind of. I think a lot of that is the writing and the character as well. I think they've kind of missed the mark a little bit there. I think they originally, that Disney had it back in the 80s and then it went to Paramount and then it came back to Disney again. But when Disney originally had it, I think Tom Cruise was one of the people they spoke about. Yeah, that's true. So, in fact, fun fact, this was nearly the first feature-length animated film ever made. Really? So, back in 1936, one of the head animators from Looney Tunes bought it. And he started animating it. And I got to say, you can find the test footage online and it's outstanding. For 1936, it kicks Snow White out of the water. Like, it's amazing. But when they when they ran it for test audiences, they thought the idea of a man on Mars was too outlandish, so they scrapped it. But it was nearly the first animated feature ever made. I feel like the only reason Tarzan is as known as he is is because of his film adaptations. So, I think John Carter could have been much more memorable than Tarzan had it been pulled off. It's interesting in different movies it could have been. I think when it was at Paramount, it was attached first to Robert Rodriguez. So yeah, it, it could have good. been a bit more like gritty like Sin City. He was going to do it in that style. Yeah. And yeah. then after that, I think it was John Favreau. So, it could have actually been like entertaining. Um, unfortunately, it was neither of those things in the end. <laughs> so, John Favreau was going to adapt the first three books in mm. the series. And he was going to do it completely practical, no CGI. But then he went to Iron Man instead and it fell back to Disney and that's what we got. One of them, I think, was going to shoot in Australia. Really? That would have been dope. (laughs) (laughs) There's a fair chunk of Australia that looks like Mars. That's true. Like when you fly, when you, if you fly from like Darwin to Sydney, for instance, and look down. I mean, so does Utah though. Like I got, like the visuals in this movie are stunning. I think like you would be hard pressed to argue against the visuals in this movie. I was looking at my phone a lot. I don't know. (laughs) There's some really good filmmaking in this movie. I think a lot of the flaws come down to pre-production. I think a lot of the issues are the script and and narrative storytelling. I I do agree with that. There's a bunch of film craft in John Carter, which is good. The sets, the visual effects, most of the actual filmmaking process is really solid. Then there's a bunch of stuff wrong narratively, which actually start right from the start. This happens. Right, yeah. Because that intro- Like, say what you will about the Hobbit films, and people can and have said plenty. The prologue to Unexpected Journey, I think, is really good. Yeah. The prologue in John Carter is not very good. I, I agree 100%. As much as I talk about loving this mu- movie, this isn't one of those movies for me where I'm not going to be able to bash it. It has problems. And yeah, that intro is one of them. The book does start with a prologue- written from Edgar Rice Burroughs' perspective, talking about John Carter as as his uncle and finding his manuscripts. That whole bit is in the book. But the difference is in the book, that's that's like one page. In the movie, that takes up like 10 minutes. And And then after that, it really slows down. Butler Mm. exposition. Yeah. Well, even before that- more of it. Even before that, we get the exposition about Mars itself, which we don't need. I would have loved if everything we learned about Mars was through John Carter, because he doesn't know about it either. He's discovering it. So, we should be discovering it with him. 
So, yeah, I dislike that entire first 15 minutes of the film. Although in the first 15 minutes of the film, we do get Brian Cranston. We do get Brian Cranston. You sit there for a second and you go, is, wait, is, is that Heisenberg? <laughs> <laughs> and 12 minutes in, you get your first line from a female. She's, it's a one-liner, in case anyone was interested, uh, offering John Carter some dinner. It's a, it's a hallucination. She's not real, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, the stuff that, not, none of that works. Oh. John none Carter's, of, fam- that, his dead family stuff, cut it. Yeah, see, none of Honestly, that's in the book. cut it. I feel like a large problem with this movie is that the book was so ahead of its time and the movie is so behind its time. Had we got this movie back in the 80s or something or, or back in the 30s, it would have felt a lot more fresh and original because this book famously inspired things like Star Wars, Avatar, like all those filmmakers have spoken about it. But getting it now, it's stuff that we've all seen a lot of times before. Do you guys agree with that? I think you can still do the story well. Probably I think the bit, the thing I'd agree on is specifically Mars. Yeah. Which back then- Felt like more of a mystery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas now doing this now seems more even more farcical. Yeah. In a moment to stick up for the performance of Tim Riggins, early on he has to say the line, beans, the first <laughs> item is beans. Mate, and what great now, delivery that is though. What are you going to do with that with he, that dialogue? He spun gold from straw with that line. <laughs> <laughs> like the look in his eyes, the way- beans. <laughs> he was saying it to the one of the dads from that 70s show. So he didn't have to be particularly good in that scene to be the best actor in that scene. <laughs> but right after that we had a little sequence that I'll that I'll stick up for. I love that. Are you talking about his the jail escape? sequence and his yeah. and his escape? The editing in that sequence yes. is actually really good. Yeah. Right up to the point where, um, yeah, it goes a bit off the rails when some guy runs up to Heisenberg and says, he stole your horse, and they run outside and the horse is running past. It's like, what, he stole it and waited there for you to go tell him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- I also noticed there is, like, a guy on a watchtower in that scene with a gun. I'm like, why aren't, why aren't you shooting at John Carter? Why are you just letting him right off? I'm like, this guy's just kind of standing there looking around, like playing Snake on his phone or something. And I'm like, mate, come on, do your job. Not long after that, when 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 Carter has his first run-in with one of the- What are they called? The the demigod-type oh, people. Like the therns. What, the therns. Yeah. He has his first run-in with a thern who, turn, who, like, appears in this cave. So, okay, he can, like, he can teleport. Yeah. He can basically use the force. Yeah. Mm. But <laughs> rather than- and his way of coming at John Carter is to just come up behind him with a knife. <laughs> That's the move you're going with. Yeah, he's being sneaky about it. It's not like he's like, hey, I have a knife. He's like, you know, <laughs> creeping up. Billy's with- doing the most creepy <laughs> creeper move. Yeah, I realize- You've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I realise that this is an audio format, so my creeping doesn't necessarily play. Oh, well. no, people feel it. Don't worry. <laughs> that scene is so ridiculous, though, because- John Carter kind of lands there and he's told soon after, you know, like, this is Mars, forget everything you know, forget you know your name. But we've just, we literally get the same first scene in Mars that we have just experienced on Earth, which is a bunch of dudes on horseback shooting one another. I dislike the gross overuse of the word literal as much as anyone else, but this is actually true. (laughs) We literally have one scene on Earth in which there are dudes on horseback, they're all shooting it up. He gets to Mars and exactly the same thing happens directly after, despite the fact that we're meant to suspend all belief and believe that nothing on Mars is in any way the same as what you would expect to happen on Earth. Oh, except for this exact <laughs> thing that just happened. Also, there's a guy that sounds like Willem Dafoe. 
<laughs> Not at first. He's speaking. He's speaking gobbledygook at first. Yeah, but Willem Dafoe speaking any alien language still, still sounds Willem identifiably Dafoe. like Willem Dafoe. This and he's great. great. I love Willem Dafoe's voice in this movie because it's Willem Dafoe. Sure. But yeah, not long after that, he does get he gets fed that um the linguistics juice of convenience. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is in fact one of the laziest movies I have ever seen, and that is like, that is one on a long it's list. It's so amazing. People are there talking Martian. Here, drink this. You can speak Martian now. Yeah, is that any? We've seen that so many times. Pocahontas. Never seen it. Well, like the same thing happens. Mel Gibson, what is it? He hears the wind or something, and all of a sudden he can understand the Native Americans. Like there's, there's colours in the wind. Billy. Yeah, like <laughs> there's dumb stuff in, you know, that transcends language. I I agree that it's lazy. And again, this is all of these things we're complaining about are things that they've changed substantially from the book. And is the is the dog that can do Mark three oh, in dog. the book? Yeah, the dog is because that, but he's not as fast. He's just he's more like just a dog in the book. But he's awesome. He's just as loyal. lovable as that dog is. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, oh, it's stupid. Yeah, no. So in the book, he learns the language over the course of a couple of days. He doesn't just drink some magic word juice. Juju. <laughs> yeah. Amongst other lazy, while we're on the topic, <laughs> I want to get all these out actually in a big long line because I just really want people to understand how bad this movie is, and I don't oh. want to forget any of these. So just bear with me for a minute. Laziness. Okay, this this like language serum. Sure, uh, fine. I'll get on board. <laughs> Mark Strong makes some throwaway comment at some point about the bone density of humans and the gravity of Mars, yeah. and and that is a that that is then a coverall for the fact that John Carter can now move like a friggin' uh, frog hopper and has superhuman strength. Come on, that's not that outrageous. It does seem it's awfully convenient. I feel like that's one of the most believable and not parts particularly of the whole. well explained. But I mean, how different is that than Superman gets his powers from Earth's yellow sun? Like, at you know, least I think with Clark, bodies- you kind of know early on. I mean, like Mark Strong makes this throwaway comment three quarters of the way through. The yeah, movie. I feel like you don't even need that comment. I feel like it's pretty clear just from the moment John Carter lands on Mars and he's jumping. Like you just, oh yeah, gravity. Yeah, that would mess you up. I feel like if there weren't other things on the planet that look exactly like humans, it would be easier to believe. But because there's this whole other race there that no, just look like skin, humans. <laughs> they got red skin how and tribal white tattoos. Is Taylor Kitsch in this movie? Well, Jesus, yeah. I feel like they like. I mean, well, he could have. Spent a bit of time in the sun while he was there. But they probably wanted to exaggerate the red skin of the of the Martians, so Or if you're gonna have a white saviour, you make damn sure that he's proper white. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go near that solarium, Tim Riggins. I mean I mean again, I don't want to keep bringing up the book, but that's a big difference in the book is that Tars Tarkas, Willem Dafoe, is actually the saviour of a lot of these instances and it's not John Carter. Not so- of his own daughter's story, just P.S. Although, and that is another case of terribly lazy story writing in which in which John Carter drops some truth on whatever her name is, Sola, is that right? Yeah, the, yep. You know, the Tars Tarkin's daughter. Yeah. And the reason he knows it's his daughter is... Uh, he later reveals, a father's intuition. So because John Carter himself has had a daughter, he can tell by osmosis <laughs> that Sola is actually Tars Tarkin's daughter. She herself had never known this. Um, she probably didn't know it because she had suffered at his abuse and torture over many, many years prior. Um, and he then also sets her free in the desert to, to be killed. Um <laughs> 
So <laughs> it probably hadn't occurred to her before this point. That's probably um, my dad. That that was dad. Um, but that was another just terrible, terribly lazy uh, yeah. point of storytelling. I mean, again, I'm hazy on the memory of it, but from memory in the book, and this is going to sound even more ridiculous, but I'm sure it's explained. He has some kind of telepathy with the Martians. He can read Martian minds. Sure, why not? <laughs> because of his bone density. Bone density. It's, it's, gravity. It's all explained in bone density and gravity. Um, when he Just after he's met Tars Tarkas, there's another good bit of filmmaking that I'll stick up for. Yeah. Um, it's a, a type of editing that I really like. You don't see a lot of it. It's used to brilliant effect in uh, The Fifth Element, which is where something happens and rather than seeing the outcome of that action, you cut to something else that parallels it and shows the same thing. So right, yeah. when John Carter gets shot when he's first got to Mars, rather than seeing him go, oh, I've been shot in the ass," you just cut to a little creature wailing. Yeah. You just cut out this whole- We don't need to see John Carter going, oh, I've been shot in the butt. Yeah. We're just, bang, we're on the horsies, whatever the Martian horsies are called, <laughs> and, and we're on our way. And those these bits of editing do pop up in this film. They don't always happen. Yeah. <laughs> There's times where the story genuinely lags. Yeah. Um, but just but thought I'd- bump you along a little there bit. There are times where it's used really effectively. Look, while we're taking a break to talk about things that you enjoy- you guys have to admit that, that, like, the score in this movie is beautiful. Did you guys not pay attention to the music and think this is a really great score? To me, this is up there with, like, the great scores. Like, this is, you know- No, it's steady on, Billy. <laughs> it's a really- <laughs> Like, it's, it's just great. I can't remember hearing anything but my internalized screaming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got, another, I've, got another good, I've got another good thing here. Yeah. When- What's the princess's name? Deja Torres. Deja Torres. It's easy to remember, people. Deja Torres. Deja. When Deja is telling him that, explaining to him, they do that little thing where she's like, he's like, here we are on the third rock from the sun. And she's like, no, 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 we're on this one. Rather than having a full back and forth or whatever, you just have Mars's two moons in shot. Yes. It's like, good use of visual medium. Yeah. You've bypassed having to have a conversation about it because- there's two moons there. Conversation over. He accepts it. Well done, filmmaker. <laughs> and then they go and find the Bifrost. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there are a couple of weird Avenger-like crossovers in this movie. For example, what's old mate's name? When Saab is originally handed the whatever it is. The that blue, thing. Yeah, the, the weapon. Thing, yeah. um, poor man's, you know, uh, glove of Thanos. Um that that was a bit of a, a sort of Avengers throwback or Marvel Universe throwback, as well as the fact that helium kind of just seems like the Greeks have invaded Asgard or something like that. In fact, when he's given that glove, whatever on earth it is, um, is the earliest mention of a female in the movie, and it actually only comes a few minutes in, although it is three men speaking behalf on behalf of a woman and her gifting to a man the most powerful thing in the planet. Oh, you're talking so, about the goddess. Yes, the reference the goddess. To goddess. Yeah. Yeah. You Isis, never see Isis? her. Yeah, Isis. You yeah, never yeah. see her. Well, she or might not be a. Or- she might not be a, a physical being. How does the princess know what a wedding ring means on a human from Earth? Well, she's very. She's a scientist, mate. She's very smart. <laughs> <laughs> she sees John Carter's got a wedding ring, and she's like, "Oh, I know what that means." So I'm a, and I was like, "Why do you know what that means?" Well, I mean, maybe maybe Martians have wedding rings as well. We don't know. And they happen to put them on the same finger. 
Even the wedding ring's uh, significance to John Carter seems questionable by the end. I mean, we've spent all this time with him having these flashbacks through his wife and his daughter. Um, Who he cares deeply about until he sees a hot chick on Mars. Yes, presumably, oh, yes, exactly. Mate, it's Deja Doris, <laughs> it's by not the just end, a hot chick. He has chick. this final flashback of her, flicks off his ring... <laughs> And he's like, nah, lol, let's get married. <laughs> I mean, who, firstly, who knows how long ago his wife died? He could have been carrying that torch for, you know, 10, 15 years. Although we do know he has pretty swift changes of heart. I mean, earlier in the movie, he says to her, to, to Deja, you know, what if I don't trust you? And within 0.7 seconds, he's given her a glad eye. So, you know, we, we do know that he's potentially prone to but, changes of the heart yeah, in this manner. Yeah, but it is Deja Torres. She is the best Disney princess. Oh, come on, man. And it is, it is just known that anyone, people are inherently trustworthy if the first time you meet them, on the top half, they look like Maximus entering the cold scene for the first time, and on the bottom half, look like they're in Baywatch. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, that's a good egg. <laughs> I like him. Her, that helmet is very Maximus. It is, yeah, it is. All the culture is very kind of Roman inspired, isn't it? And they do find themselves in a Colosseum type that's scenario later in the movie. Yep. In which John Carter, in another yet another film ripoff, a- appears to be some kind of William Wallace, you know, Mars. They even uh, go full blue on him. Yeah, they do. This is what I mean. This is what I was saying before, though. When you talk about film ripoffs, it's it's so hard to distinguish what which films were inspired by the source material. You could easily look at Deja's outfit and sometimes go, "Well, that's just a ripoff of the gold bikini," but the gold bikini was inspired by the book, so. It's really hard then to to say, oh well, this is just a ripoff. Yeah, I suppose there are some points. I mean, there's one point where, say, John Carter has you know sent Deja and Sola on. He's going to stay back and defend their lives the way I assume we're meant to think he couldn't save the lives of his wife and daughter. Um, and and there's this sort of weird Matrix style pile on where he's like Neo in the middle and they're all coming out and swirling it's not around. Good. <laughs> It's not good. so bad. It's and because so bad. I he, kept like, waiting for the blue pill so I could fucking wake up and get out of this nightmare. Taylor Kitsch is just swinging wildly and happily every baddie just jumps and impales themselves on his sword. It's horrible. They're it's not truly horrible. good at their job. <laughs> no, yeah. soldiers. He steals a pod racer in a later yeah. scene. That's, I was going to get to that. I was like, the- I'm just, that's one of my just face palm bits. It's like Taylor Kitsch gets on this flying thing and he's like, wow, I clearly don't know how to fly yeah. this thing and doesn't die. Yeah, yeah, and somehow makes it all the way to the city he's trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah, well, conveniently, they're like, oh, yeah, that's one of ours because he stole it from Mark Strong's crew. Yeah. So he doesn't get shot <laughs> because the Civil War veteran has become a skilled pilot of the pod <laughs> Yeah. When he's never even seen a flying machine before in his life. That's right, because <laughs> ships surf the waves in his world. Oh, that's right, yes, the ocean. What is this water you speak of? <laughs> the final other movie ripoff, though, actually, I should say book, obviously, play, is clearly Romeo and Juliet, which I do think at least came prior. <laughs> <laughs> that did, yeah. <laughs> to the original think, book in this case. Little Wait, so Shakespeare was... <laughs> <laughs> I actually wish that he was never going to wake up from that dream and would be stuck like I was trapped, trapped in this film forever. <laughs> so at about, I wish I was trapped in this film forever. <laughs> I, I, I love this movie. About, about, hours and twelve minutes was well enough. One hour into this film, and I think there's a bunch like there's a, there's a lot of really lazy writing in the first hour. There's also a lot of like I was saying before with the editing and stuff. There's a bunch of stuff in the first hour that I actually find quite fun. Yeah. At the one hour mark, momentum. Cops are kicked to the ghoulies. And it's actually, it's right at that baddies impaling themselves on John Carter's sword scene. 
Yeah. Like from there, stuff slows down and it shouldn't. Up to and including that. What's that? Oh, this is just after, after they've done that trip down the poor man's version of the end of Fellowship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so what do, you, what do you think it is that slows it down? There's just a there's there's stuff that just needs to be cut. Yeah. Um. When we go to when we're actually at the the crawling city, that needs to happen quicker. The scene at the end of Poor Man's Fellowship River just needs to happen quicker. Yeah, I agree. I actually do really like this movie, but I do think this is a perfect example of a movie that could be bumped at least two to three points just with a swift fan edit. I think narratively there are issues, but I think with the stuff they filmed, you could get a much better movie out of this movie. Part of the issue in adapting it is that they've they've tried to have their cake and eat it too. It's really strange. They've tried to go with a really faithful adaptation while at the same time changing so many things that you've ended up with this weird kind of mess. Because the book was actually first published serialized, like in a magazine, and it's more just like a series of adventures. Mm. Mm. So the whole story with the therns and stuff and sub isn't in the in the source material. That kind of comes across multiple books later in the series because that is one little kind of adventure. Get the, again going back to the people who just impaled themselves on his yeah, weapons. Yeah. They shouldn't be in the film. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing is that they're. In the book, there there is kind of an overarching story, but it's more like a series of episodes type thing, and they've kind of tried to keep too much of that in. Mm. It's something that the, that the Hobbit struggles with. Oh, yeah. Because that's another thing that The Hobbit, as a book, is a series of yeah. little mini adventures. And at least if you were more convinced by the adventures, um, I was not, <laughs> uh, there, there would be less, um, I might be less pissed off about the fact there's no character development because at least I could say, well, I'm being entertained. No character development, mate. He oh, flicks Jesus. his ring off. He falls in, he, you know, <laughs> he falls in love. He's, he's a new man. He's this, he's this hardened war vet who won't fight for any cause. And now by the end, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm in. I'm all in. I literally wrote in my notes while I was watching this movie, this is word for word, I don't give a shit about anyone in this movie. Their stories only matter insofar as as long as they are alive, my suffering continues. (laughs) That's grim. (laughs) Well, there's your problem. You were barely paying attention. You were writing stuff during the movie. You You know who I was texting during the movie? Your wife. My wife? wife? Yeah, I bet you were. You've colluding. (laughs) That's what we do when we're watching one of your recommendations. All right, it's time to start texting Billy's wife. Yeah, you she took very yeah. drastic measures last week not to have to watch this movie again. And i got to say, it almost seems like I must have done something bad to both of you in a previous life or this one, that you would put me through this movie at the expense of either of you having to watch it again. I watched it again. I watched it again to make yes, notes. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, my poor wife has been I'm in astonished. hospital for the last week and I did accuse her last night. I said, you're just doing this so you don't have to watch John Carter again. She lied meekly through her oxygen mask. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. <laughs> Look, any measure is justified. The only thing worse than seeing this movie again would be seeing it in 3D because I know they also produced it in 3D. Going back to um, the the wedding or, the, or at least the proposal of... John, oh. Of John Carter and um, Martian Deja. Deja. Deja Horace. It's an easy day. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone going to make a Deja Disney movie? princess, okay? Um, Joe Kidd? No, okay. Her, her, her dad, played by the wonderful Kieran Hines, geez, he's cool with, like, no race problem with him. Another guy lobs in from another planet yeah, who man. he's never met. He's colourblind. And he's just message. like, 
look, if you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> I was like, good for you, Kieran. That's the way we should all be, mate. <laughs> sure, he has already sold her off for marriage once in the movie. There is, there is that small detail. <laughs> so, you know, she, we know this is this sort of moral licensing that a lot of movies have. So, you know, great. Oh, she's meant to be this great Disney princess, as Billy says. She's a fighter. We see a yeah, fight. She's, she's a very scienter. impressive. She's a scientist. She's a genuine, she's a Martian scientist. Yep. Yeah. She's come up with this phenomenon that's going to save helium yeah, and save all her people. Ray, mate. <laughs> Uh, so with the, the movie gives itself license then to sort of be like, fine, now let's sell her off and the, you know, magical place found between her thighs will solve all the problems that have been caused by the men who came before her. I think that is presented as a bad thing. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> like, she argues against it. I don't think... She <laughs> <laughs> At one point later in the movie she says um, that about her wedding dress that she's about to marry... As out she's about to marry Dominic West. About the dress, she says, it's a bit vulgar for my taste, but opinions, my opinions are about to become irrelevant. And I've got to say, honey, they have been the whole time. I'm <laughs> sorry to break it to you. That's true. <laughs> status, it's ops normal now. So correct me if I'm wrong, if my memory is terrible, which it is. We actually saw John Carter together, did we not? I saw it after. You'd seen it once. Yep. And like, I just saw the best movie ever. <laughs> yep, I you remember ne- that. You need to see it. And I was like, I've seen a trailer for that film. No. <laughs> Let's and talk you about- said, no, 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 it's awesome. I'll shout you a ticket if yeah. you come with me. And I was like, okay. And I went in and, like, my expectation was probably two out of ten. And hence I sat there and was like, better than I thought. I saw it completely by accident. I only saw it because something else I'd filmed, there was, like, a trailer playing before the movie. And so I got a free ticket to go see it so I could see my trailer. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go see this. Heard nothing about it. Loved it. But let's talk about the marketing. Do you guys think the name John Carter in itself is a bad choice of a name for this film? It's it's like these days you can say Tarzan without having to say Tarzan of the Apes. You can't say John Carter without having to say John Carter of Mars. It means nothing. And there's also a reason that you don't use Greystoke when marketing Tarzan. Yeah. Because that means nothing. You use white saviour version <laughs> 7.0 in yeah. film. <laughs> I think the marketing was good in that I thought it was a piece of shit so I didn't say it. <laughs> And that, in fact, turned out to be true. So, for me, the marketing was on point. It just it skipped the honest trailer treatment. It just presented it straight up. Just itself. <laughs> Topher saw it for nothing since you bought his ticket. I saw it for six ninety nine, and we both got bloody robbed. Wait, did you buy this movie? Yep. I'm afraid <coughs> to say I did. In fact, the one satisfying experience I may get out of this, which has just occurred to me, is to have a ritual burning of that DVD. You think it might wake You think it'd be too cruel to actually put it in the the charity resale I bin? Do that you don't to want anyone. to inflict that on any homeless people. Unlike you, actually, they can't watch it. They I'll don't have a DVD it. player. I'll take your copy. I'll take it. Billy's going to get it framed in the thing yeah. that we sit in every week. I'll have multiple copies. I'm you could do it that. how people, you know, um, like gold records. Are fr- you've got, yeah. You could have the DVD there in a frame <laughs> with Billy's favorite movie ever. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to hang it in this very room. <laughs> <laughs> don't leave me alone in here with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but. Andrew Stanton, who made this movie, was effectively given complete creative control over not only all the filmmaking, but also the marketing, which is unheard of. And the head of Disney at the time lost his job over this, for giving this guy credit. For letting him go full Kubrick. Yeah. Do you think that this movie is like kind of a poster child for why complete creative control can be a bad thing? Oh, not not as good as poster child as the Star Wars prequels. Oh uh, yeah, I guess that yeah. But like, I mean, it's it's a funny thing because 
studio meddling is like the dirtiest word. Yeah, it is. When talking people about hate film, it. Yeah. people hate it. Yeah, and yet, how, and Star. I've heard this brought up before that Star Wars prequels is the best example of yeah. what you wouldn't give for some studio meddling. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and not even just studio meddling. Like when you, there are people who specialize in marketing. Because they're bloody good at marketing and that's what they do. And just because you can make movies doesn't mean you know anything about marketing. So, yeah. Unless you're Stanley Kubrick and you can just do everything. (laughs) Actually, tell me about that. Kubrick did the marketing for Clockwork Orange, which, you know, Clockwork Orange is not something that screams box office hit. Yeah. And although, you know, the awesome posters and everything, like I don't think he hand drew them or anything, but he was, as I understand it, he was behind all that. And then Clockwork Orange was an absolute box office monster right up until the point where, because of all the copycat gang stuff that was going on, Kubrick asked Warner Brothers to pull it from cinemas, even though it was still making money. And they valued their relationship with him that much that they did. And there were people saying, wow, this, you know, does does he know better than us? And they're like, no, no, he flicked it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Firstly, I had no idea about that story, but I also had no idea that he was a part of the film being banned. All right, so it doesn't sound like the consensus is overly positive on this film, which makes me die a little inside. <laughs> what, are you, what are you guys feeling? What are you? How are you scoring this? I grade it a four out of ten. Four. There's stuff in there that I do find enjoyable, and as a genuine popcorn flick, you know, whatever. I'm putting this on the telly, and hopefully, it's fun. It's got elements there that serve that purpose. Certainly, there's also a bunch of this film that's bad. Has that score dropped since the last time you saw it? I think it was. I think the first time I saw it, it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Maybe like I was a six yeah, or something. I was like, yeah, that was fun. I liked that. Yeah. And then I watched it again and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I unsurprisingly- And like four, like four out of ten, It's. I'm not saying I hated it at all. I'm saying for me, it's, a, it's kind of a subpar film, but it's not for me a horrendous watch, unlike my dear sister here. <laughs> so I- um, In writing my notes to come and talk to you guys about it, I found it really, really difficult to approach because I don't know how to make coherent sense out of something that is such a hot mess. It is boring. It is nonsensical. It's like wading through thick, sludgy mud and there is just no end in sight. I came into this movie hoping that someone would be able to convince me to give it anything other than a zero out of ten. I have been trying my hardest to find something, to just throw it a bone, you know. Oh, can you say this? At least they said this. At least they did that. Um, I can't. I can't, in all honesty, tell you that has happened. I'm giving it a zero out of ten. I can't recommend anything about this movie. And if any of you listeners know how to give something a zero out of ten on the IMDb app, please write in and tell the guys because I tried to do it. And it wouldn't work. <laughs> I tried to do that with Suicide Squad and was like, damn it, I've got to give this one. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Your first and maybe last ever zero out of ten on We Watched a Thing. Zero. I unsurprisingly liked it more than you guys. I'm a six. I think it's fun. I think it's it's a good adventure movie. We don't get adventure movies anymore. Like, they just don't exist. This still, is one of my things that's don't. becoming <laughs> my We Watched a Thing drinking game. Is anytime Billy says <laughs> they movies these like days, <laughs> drink. So, what are we? Six, four? Oh, we don't average a very good score. <laughs> Still a great movie, though. Still, With all our scores combined, we, we've reached 10 out of 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, what you can say is it's a, the, the film is a 10. No, no, you can say that. <laughs> no, I thought, no I one thought else we'd be higher because I, I, thought, I thought your score would be better, Billy, and I am surprised at a zero 
I'm surprised at a zero. I feel like that's just negative Nancy being negative. (laughs) (laughs) It's more like about self-respect for my time and my opinion. (laughs) Last time Beth's on the show. (laughs) As if she's going to want to come back. (laughs) What are you going to make her watch now? What do we make her watch next? All your listeners will be glad I finally gave them some good advice, Billy. You know, we've got Mamma Mia 2 in a couple of weeks. Do you want to join us to that? I don't. I'm (laughs) not. You won't even see Hereditary, you wuss. No, I'd be, I, I would, we still wouldn't be able to do an episode because I'd have a heart attack and die. <laughs> so what are we getting to next week? You tell me. Next week is Ocean's 8 ah, because right. you won't see Hereditary. Yeah. I was, <laughs> Billy was like, then we've got Hereditary, and I was like, oh, no, we don't. <laughs> so, yeah, Ocean's 8 next week, which I'm looking forward to. I'm Same. interested in how that's going to go. All right, that's it from us this week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or at wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at wewatchthething. We're on all of the podcasting places, so find us there. Subscribe. Tell 20 mates. To tell them to tell 20 mates and tell them to tell 20 it's mates. not a pyramid It's not game. a scheme. I've said this. It's not a scheme. <laughs> Gatches. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitched at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle? The towering 93%. Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah? Did you, how much did you love it? <laughs> I'm going to have to... Fuck, where is it? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> you might actually fucking cut that out. <laughs>